Some of the Jets' issues in recent years have been out of Adam Gase's and Sam Darnold's control, but this could still be a make-or-break year for the duo in New York. Hello everyone and welcome into another episode of Fantasy Football in 15. I'm your host Michael Beller. Happy Monday to everyone out there. Hope you all had a great weekend. Joined as I am for every episode of Fantasy Football in 15 today by Derek Van Riper. DVR, how was your weekend? It's good. I got to see some family again in, in small doses of course, but that's always a good thing when you get a chance to uh, to see people close to you, right? It's been such a, a rough first half of the year it's nice to have a few opportunities now that summer is in full swing to do a few things that resemble normal yeah definitely I'm uh, right there with you my mother-in-law was actually uh, visiting this weekend so it's great to get to see her we uh, don't live near her she lives a couple states over from us here in Chicago so uh, great to spend some time with her and great to get to start doing that and of course one of the things that we hope remains normal is the beginning of the NFL season just a couple of months away. We are reaching the end of our State of the Team series here on Fantasy Football in 15. Just two more teams to go. Today's team is the New York Jets, and we're going to do this one a little bit differently, just me and DVR talking to you about the Jets. So, uh, DVR, let's get this thing rolling here. Let's start with Adam Gase. Obviously, offense was the calling card after what he did in Denver, after the very strong season he had uh, as the offensive coordinator with the Bears, the best year of Jake Cutler's career. It just hasn't really worked out for him, though, first in Miami and now with the Jets. Uh, it feels to me, though, like maybe he's been dealt a, a few bad hands with some of the teams that have been built around him. Uh, do you see any more reason for optimism with Adam Gase in this Jets offense this season? You know, I think one key is that the Jets are a team that has a young franchise quarterback in Sam Darnold. I think the development of Darnold is one reason to be optimistic. I do think when you look at some of the changes that were made during the offseason, uh, the selection of Denzel Mims is a pick that I really like. It might be more for 2021 and beyond. I think he'll make contributions this year. But I kind of think that's where this team starts to break down is in that receiving core. They brought in Brashad Perriman. They lost Robbie Anderson. Is Perriman going to be healthy? Is he going to be as efficient as he was in stretches last season? You know, I, I just I wonder if they're still missing something when it comes to talent at the skill positions. I think what has also changed, though, for the better that could make things just generally improve across the board with the offense, the offensive line is better. Mecky Becton being the first-round pick, big change on the left side. Uh, just overhauling that unit as a whole, I think, is something that gives them a, a bit more of a floor to protect Arnold, to just make things easier with his development. I think that's an area that we, we sometimes overlook. So the downside outcomes for this offense seem to be uh, less catastrophic than they were a year ago, thanks to the changes on the offensive line. That should be like in the, the Bills team media guide, less catastrophic than it was a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, if that's not selling the Jets, I don't know what does. Uh, joking aside, though, I'm with you. I think that uh, even if this team doesn't get all the way there this year, that there's more reason for optimism uh, with them this season. You can't fix everything that was wrong with them in one off season. So to come out of a draft with Mackay Becton, Denzel Mims, Michael P. Ryan, those are a couple of nice move picks that they made uh, that should help improve the offense's bottom line this year. Uh, but it does start, of course, with that young franchise quarterback that you mentioned in Sam Darnold. And I still buy 
Sam Darnold. And, you know, anyone listening to this show hopefully is also a subscriber to The Athletic. And so you've seen our colleague Michael Salfino and his Jets propaganda on the website quite a bit. And he <laughs> likes Sam Darnold, but it's not Salfino just getting into my brain. I mean, I feel like people forget just how young Sam Darnold was when he came out of USC. This guy right now, still six months, I guess he will be his whole life, six months younger than Joe Burrow who everyone is so excited about in Cincinnati this season after winning the Heisman and winning the national championship at LSU. Sam Darnold is six months younger than him with two full NFL seasons under his belt. He's been dealt a really bad hand, just some bad teams. Obviously, last year uh, with Mono was never really able to get going last season at all. I think there's good reason to buy Sam Darnold. I wish the weapons around him were better this season, but he's still someone who I find myself in our early drafts circling around him. When we get to you know QB 20, and I like to play a lot of super flex leagues where you're starting two quarterbacks, when we get to that range of guys, Sam Darnold becomes one of my preferred targets because I just think that there is a ton of room for growth if he can just stay healthy and the improved line can protect him a little bit. Yeah, and there's no real job risk at all. Clearly, he's their right. guy as long as he's healthy. And you look back at last year, First, he opened the season with the Bills. I think we later realized how good that Bills defense was. Mm -hmm. So he drew one of the toughest matchups possible to begin the season. Then he missed the three weeks due to mono. Got turned into a Twitter meme along the way. Uh, <laughs> recovered from that, I think, over time. He, he'll, he'll, he'll bounce back from that in the long run. Uh, but he was at the helm of an offense that couldn't run the ball effectively either. So they were one-dimensional. They had a bad offensive line. That connection he had with Robbie Anderson down the stretch in 2018 – that was gone. He did, despite all of that, over his final eight games, put up a 13-4 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. I mean, that's obviously really good. 26-8 to over a full season would get the job done. Got the YPA up to 7.3 down the stretch. I think when you account for the weapons and some of the concerns of the offense as a whole, that's not as bad as it looks either. And, you know, I think there is a chance that Denzel Mims is one of the most impactful rookie receivers. So, that plus Perriman in for Anderson, all of it does kind of point to Darnold taking a step forward. I think it's a question of how big of a step forward is it? Does he go from being a guy who's drafted as QB 20, who becomes a regular starter in one quarterback leagues, or is he one of those players where you have to use him effectively? You have to play the matchups and really try to look for spots where the Jets might end up in a shootout or when they're facing a softer defense and he finishes as QB 14, right? I mean, those margins are pretty thin. I'm not convinced he necessarily makes the leap. I think part of it is still the supporting cast. I think he gets better, but I think he's going to be better for super flex leagues and more of a matchup play in traditional leagues. Yeah, I wish the supporting cast were better. I would love to see what he could do with a really strong supporting cast around him. I do think that the supporting cast is no worse than it was last year, right? You bring back Jamison Crowder. You've got a healthy and not suspended Chris Herndon. Brashad Perriman, Robbie Anderson. That could be a one-for-one -one trade. And then you bring in Denzel Mims. I do think that the supporting cast should be at least as good as it was last year. And I would bet on it being better. I would still like it to see to see it be even uh, you know, a step or two better than what it is, but I do think he's dealing with a little bit more, uh, a fuller of a deck this year than he had last year. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with him after this season. Obviously, he's still going to be under contract with the Jets after this season, entering his fourth year in the league. But 
Uh, it could have the feel of a make-or-break season for him in New York. So uh, Sam Darnold definitely gets the spotlight for the Jets and is going to be the guy who stirs everything from a fantasy perspective. But Le'Veon Bell right there with him too. Last season, not the sort of Le'Veon Bell year that we are used to seeing. Uh, 789 rushing yards on 245 carries. That is 32 yards per carry still did a ton of work in the passing game catching 66 balls for 70 or 70 yeah, 66 balls on 78 targets excuse me 461 yards four total touchdowns for Le'Veon Bell last season bottom line here for me DVR though very hard to ignore that volume we're talking about 313 combined carries and targets that is more than likely going to get the job done for a uh, running back and even with Frank Gore and LaMichael P. Ryan on the roster this year, I got to believe that they're not really going to be too much of a threat to Le'Veon Bell's volume. Maybe Gore a little bit on the ground, but I still see 300-plus carries and targets for Bell this season. Yeah, I think I think you could see the, the catches go up. I mean, I think that could be part of where he makes up some ground. If he catches 75 or 80 passes this year, it wouldn't surprise me that much just because we've talked about the group of pass catchers still being a little bit underwhelming, I think. Bell being an asset in that facet of the game eases some pressure on Darnold too. So I think I would drop the carries probably down to like the 210, 220 range. That's mostly because of Gore. I mean, Bell did miss a game last year too, so it wasn't like a complete season. Where does the efficiency go? I mean, how much of his struggles last year were part of having a year off in 2018 and how much of it goes back to the offensive line woes? that we alluded to earlier. I, I mean, I think it's a little from column A and probably a lot more from column B. I'm looking back at that 2017 season with the Steelers. I mean, Le'Veon Bell averaged four yards a carry that year. That's probably the ceiling. We haven't seen big plays from him all that much. Like, if you look back over his career for an elite fantasy back at his peak, he's not one of those guys that breaks off a lot of long runs. He's got seven runs of 20-plus yards over the last three seasons that he's played. We're talking about more than 800 carries. So... There is not a lot of big play ability. There's not as much burst as there used to be. He really needs that volume in the passing game to keep his fantasy value afloat. Are you looking at him as a guy that you trust where he's going in drafts in July NFFC ADP? Le'Veon Bell is sitting at pick 35, so he's kind of sandwiched between Leonard Fournette and James Conner at the running back position. Yeah, you know, I want to say yes, but the answer really is no. I mean, you know, we got to follow volume at the running back position, and he's going to get it. I mean, like I said, especially in the passing game, I really don't see that 78 target and 15 game rate changing for him. And you love that. And he did pretty good work with the turn it into 461 yards, just one touchdown. But you lo- you'll take those catches, those targets, those receiving yardage numbers out of your uh, running back any day of the week. But it's still, I just. It's not so much that I don't trust him, it's that I will almost always find myself liking someone better than Le'Veon Bell. And even as much as I do believe in Sam Darnold and in some of the changes that the team has made this season, there's a chance this is a bad offense again. And early on in drafts, I do not want to get myself tied to bad offenses. And so that's really what concerns me. It's not so much Bell, it's the opportunity cost and the Jets' offensive environment as a whole that usually has me going away from him. You mentioned uh, the guy who took his spot in Pittsburgh, James Conner. Even with those uh, injury questions that Conner has, I'll take James Conner over Le'Veon Bell any day because of he has the same volume that Bell's going to get. No doubt about it. He's going to be the workhorse in Pittsburgh. And I just trust the offense and I trust the team overall more. So early in drafts, I'm just going to lean in that direction. So I do think that I can end up getting burned by that with Bell. But 
Not to the extent that he is going to be a top three running back. I don't see that in the cards for him. A low-end RB1, sure. Uh, a huge ceiling from that ADP. I just don't totally see it. So the volume is safe. I don't see myself having him, though, on too many teams. Um, let's move out to the wide receiver position here. Uh, one guy running, remaining from last year, Jamison Crowder. A couple of changes that we've talked about. Prashad Perriman and second-round pick Denzel Mims. I'll put it to you this way. Uh, of these three guys, if you were going to have one jet receiver, which one most interests you? I'm boring, um, so it's Jamison Crowder for me. I just think his role in the slot is very established. I think when Darnold was playing well in the second half of the season, that's when Crowder was doing his best work. Six touchdowns in the final nine games for him. Uh, I just think you know, you're know you going to get a pretty good target floor most weeks, especially in PPR leagues. My lean is Crowder. I think I've always had this fear that Brashad Perriman simply can't stay healthy. We've seen what he can do when he's out there. I mean, the efficiency last year in Tampa Bay, 9.3 yards per target, 15 of his 36 catches went for 20 or more yards. Like the, the big playability that we just talked about with Le'Veon Bell on the ground, you know, Le'Veon Bell lacks that. Brashard Perriman through the air does not lack that. He gives this team a guy who can make a big play without a lot of volume. So Perriman, someone I like kind of in a best ball setting, but not necessarily somebody that I'm targeting mm-hmm. in traditional leagues where I got to make that decision each and every week. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good way to look at it. And you know, Prashad Perriman goes from a va- goes to a vastly different situation this year than what he was in last year. Uh, a team in Tampa that loved to chuck the ball deep. Uh, Jameis Winston, who was never afraid of literally any throw, as long as Jameis Winston had a football in his hands, he was pretty much willing to try to throw it wherever the hell he wanted to. And that played to Prashad Perriman's benefit. It played certainly to Mike Evans' benefit, Chris Godwin's benefit. And that's just not going to be the situation that he finds himself in with the Jets this year. I agree on Crowder. Guys like him just are always, I feel, a little bit underrated because they're not going to do anything flashy. You know, you're never going to sit back on a Sunday night and be like, wow, Jamison Crowder won me this week single-handedly. 200, 200 yards and two touchdowns. Thank God Jamison Crowder's in my lineup. But <laughs> he's almost always going to do what he does. And big time going to do what he does in terms of the looks that he gets in this offense. Prashad Perriman does what he does deep. Denzel Mims is going to have this really weird rookie season like every rookie this year where maybe he doesn't even step on a field with Sam Darnold until, what, the team's first preseason game? I mean, it could be something as extreme as that. So that's going to be, I think, a tough sell for him. Jamison Crowder, a vet who played very well with Sam Darnold last year when Darnold was healthy, and I think that that is just going to entrench his position as a guy who uh, pushes up toward, I mean, what, eight eight to nine targets? I, I bet he's in like the eight and a half target per game range. Uh, the only thing I could see keeping him from that is this offense as a whole and the context in which it plays every single game, but uh, I do think that he is easily the leading receiver on this team, and in fact, if there was one guy who was going to challenge him for that, it might be Chris Herndon. I was a big Chris Herndon supporter going into last season. I thought he had all the makings of a breakout tight end. And then, of course, he's suspended. He gets injured while he's suspended. Can't get over the injury. Ends up playing just one game. Uh, We kept waiting for him to come out and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it just never happened. But everything we liked about him at this point a year ago is still there. Still a big guy. Still an athletic guy. Still very fast for his size. And still in an offense that beyond Jamison Crowder, Le'Veon Bell has a lot of targets to go around that are unclaimed 
at this point. I could see him being one of these tight ends who is toward the top of his team's target leaderboard, and you throw that into his skill set, he could be a very interesting guy to me, DVR. One of the guys, one of the tight ends who, when you get to uh, the later rounds of your draft, I think is more than uh, worthy of a dart throw. Yeah, I I think compared to a lot of the guys who go as late as Chris Herndon currently does, I I think he has less competition around him in the group of pass catchers to take targets away. I mean, I, I like Noah Fant, who goes... 30 picks earlier, a lot more based on raw talent, but that's a much more crowded group of receivers by comparison. So that's that's a concern. Um, you know, Johnu Smith doesn't even have, uh, you know, a quarterback that you really trust just yet, right? Like TJ Hawkinson's got Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones to deal with. Uh, you know, Jack Doyle's got a group of young receivers behind T.Y. Hilton, right? So you can kind of talk yourself out of the, the tight ends that go right around that same range, and you get to Herndon and even Ian Thomas, and they're both pretty interesting late flyers, I think, simply because of the opportunity. But Herndon does stand out given the, uh, well, the possible delays for rookie development. You think about not having minicamp and and some of the things that were missing this spring, that makes me a little less confident in Denzel Mims being ready to go in week one. I think that opens up the door for Herndon to at least have a larger role earlier in the season before someone like Mims can really establish himself. Yeah, definitely someone who I am happy to take a shot on this year. We've talked quite a bit about the tight end pattern that we've seen. Always seems to be a guy who breaks out from that late range. George Kittle two years ago, Darren Waller last year, Chris Herndon certainly one of the candidates to do it this season. That's going to do it for this episode of Fantasy Football in 15. If you're out there on iTunes, Spotify, anything else like that, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And also, go ahead and check out The Athletic. You can get a free 30-day trial at theathletic.com slash football in 15. For Derek Van Riper, I'm Michael Beller. Fantasy Football in 15 will return tomorrow with our final State of the Team Series episode. The Jacksonville Jaguars rounded out. Until then, uh, we'll talk to you later. Have a good day.